This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're listening to Sports Better's Paradise on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, Thursday, talking to Bruce Marshall, executive editor of The Gold Sheep. Bruce, what'd you think of week one? Wow. I mean, it uh, went a lot of different uh, directions. I'll tell you the one thing that, that jumped out at me. And uh, yeah, we know Alabama and, you know, Georgia looked a great, Georgia destroying Oregon. But. I thought it was actually a very good weekend for the Pac-12, irrespective of what happened with Oregon. Uh, I think there's a potential revival going on in Arizona uh, with the new quarterback, Jaden Delora, coming in from Washington State in Jed Fish's second year. Washington with Kalen DeBoer. Uh, Washington should not have been, been as bad as it was last year. This was all on Jimmy Lake last year. He wasn't ready for the job. DeBoer, very established coach, can win. Michael Penix, the new quarterback, looked very good against Kent State. How about Oregon State? Really bullying Boise State. Yeah. And, of course, USC. So uh, it looks to me like the Pac-12 uh, it may, is making a re- nice recovery. Maybe not Oregon, but uh, top to bottom, I think it was a very encouraging weekend for the Pac-12. And Utah should have won a game. Cameron Rising has played too many yeah. games to throw that early down interception and force that in yeah. there when he's got, <clears throat> at worst, a chip shot field goal to send it into overtime. But great games, great games. And I know, Bruce, um, as fans, we love the, um, the, uh, the, the Power Five teams or the bigger programs going to the smaller venues. But the smaller venues that care, like Boone, North Carolina, like Greenville, North Carolina, like San Antonio, Texas, uh, Norfolk, Virginia, those were some electric places, man, that usually are not the case. Yeah, and, you know, I, I like this little trend here with, with some of these uh, Power 5 schools actually going on the road uh, for, for some of these games. And in some cases, apparently that is sort of uh, financial because a lot of them don't want to cough up that huge guarantee to the visiting teams to come in always. And, you know, North Carolina, they're going out to the Sun Belt again this week. They're going down to Atlanta. Um, so they may have actually saved themselves some money by playing that game in Boone and uh, ditto Virginia Tech going into to a Norfolk, although Virginia Tech likes to play in Norfolk when it can because it's fertile recruiting territory. But I think that's kind of good to have some of these, uh, the group of fives actually get to host some of these games and not always have to go on the road to play power fives. Maybe, as uh, again, as fans, if I'm the coach of NC State, no. If I'm the coach in North Carolina, no. Nope. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's it's tougher. Those places don't get the Power Five teams in often, so they're going to have some extra juice in the stands. Yeah. It's college athletics, the crowds, yeah. the atmosphere. They have an impact on the games. 
um, and talk about a great crowd last week. Uh, it was for Heinz Field with uh, West Virginia and Pitt, the old backyard brawl. Now we have this matchup that we had a year ago uh, in Knoxville. And Milton started the game. This is the game where Hooker came in very late and led a late storm of, uh, for Tennessee. Got it tied before Pitt it ultimately won it. Revenge spot here for Tennessee. This line, before the season started, was about one or two-point favorites. It's up to six and a half based off of what we saw in week one. Pitt, but flat out fortunate to get away with that uh, win against West Virginia. And Tennessee, even though Ball State's a, a bit of a, a rental win, a whooping bag, um, they look very good, and Hooker is put up phenomenal numbers. And Tennessee is a public team. Tennessee, six and a half, 67 and a half at Heinz Field and Pitt. Yeah, first of all, I'm old enough to remember when, when these two, there was a, there's a historic link here. This is the Johnny Majors game, and people forget. It's a long time ago now, but uh, Johnny Majors left Pitt uh, off a national championship winner with Tony Dorsett and Matt Cavanaugh, quarterback, 76, to his alma mater, Tennessee. And he made that move before the Sugar Bowl against Georgia. He was allowed to coach the Sugar Bowl with Pitt. Uh, you wouldn't see that today, but that's what happened. Then he moved to Tennessee. And, oh, by the way, when Tennessee forced him out in 92, he showed up back at Pitt in 93. So, anyway, little connection between the schools. Last year's game happened here in week two, almost the same day. Uh, it was September 11 last year, so it was in week two. And that's that's when we started to get an idea that Kenny Pickett was something special. Uh, he put up some very good numbers in that game. He put up some better numbers later in the year, but he's very much in control, almost 300 yards passing, a couple of TDs, and he looked awfully, awfully good. I remember watching that game being surprised that Pickett looked that good. That wasn't the Pickett that I remembered before. But bigger, and you touched upon this, Jimmy. Uh, last year at this point, Josh Heupel had not yet – the, this this offense and his the UCF spread he brought up from Orlando was still a work in progress, and he was still splitting time with Milton and Hooker. In fact, Milton was starting the games early, started the opener last year, started the, the game two against uh, Pitt, and they would bring Hooker in off the bench, and they sort of split time through September. It wasn't until Heupel uh, made the switch to Hooker in early October that Tennessee really started to click. And Tennessee is clicking now. If you throw add that uh, Ball State game in last week, 59 points, uh, they've scored 45 or more in five of their last six dating back to last season. They did have that the overtime against Purdue in the bowl game, but they were still moving pretty well in that game in Nashville against uh, Purdue. I, I don't know that Pitt's going to be able to trade points here. Uh, and I don't know that Slovis is that much of a downgrade from Pickett. Uh, and this is, I mean, listen, Pickett was as good as you could be last year. Slovis looked pretty good against uh, West Virginia. But Pitt's defense did leak a little bit. They're going to be under a little bit more pressure this week. The tempo that Heupel has Tennessee uh, uh, functioning, it's, it's faster than West Virginia. And they're going to put a lot of pressure on this defense. I think it's going to go over. They went 75 last year, and that was really before – Tennessee was clicking a total what we got about 66 and a half 67 I think it goes over I think Tennessee wins I put a score 42 31 in the sheet uh, so Tennessee and over in this one but uh, could be good fun uh, I once again in Pittsburgh speaking of fun not a ton of fun for the Iowa Hawkeyes offense uh, last week because the defense outscored the offense with a couple of uh, a couple of safeties I was three and a half and 40 and a half over Iowa State a couple of couple of safeties may cover this thing by itself Bruce we're not sure but uh the um Matt Campbell has done a great job at Iowa State one thing he does not do he does not beat Iowa he has never beaten uh the Hawkeyes Hawkeyes at home here now three and a half 40 and a half a lot of people backing off 
that total is about as low as it gets uh, early in the year in college football as well. Uh, Jimmy, I think they're going to start uh, scoring uh, Iowa games by innings instead of quarters. Okay, uh, they're so low scoring, and you're right, four to three. The defense, the safeties outscored the offense last week. Only at Iowa, they get involved in these things every once in a while. Kirk Ferentz football, listen, that's the way they do it. He sort of waits for the other team to beat itself, although they took it to extremes last week. But we know this. We saw this last year. Petrus at quarterback, I mean, he's just a game manager, low-risk offense. They wait for the other teams to make mistakes, and they capitalize. Uh, That's their their, uh, M.O. Uh, Not too thrilling, but it usually gets them eight or nine wins and into a decent bowl game. My question here is where Iowa we, – so we know what Iowa's about. Uh, Iowa State, Decker's the new quarterback. I mean, listen, Brock Purdy was a three-year starter there, a four-year starter. Uh, Brees Hall has moved on, too, to the NFL. Um, and Decker's a new quarterback. You know, there's some questions. You know, he's played before, but, I mean, this, there could be a drop-off there. But mostly in this series, Matt Campbell has done very well at Iowa State. He's beaten everybody in the Big 12. Uh, including Oklahoma a couple of times. He has not beaten Iowa yet. So the Cyhawk has lived in Iowa City uh, since 2014, and that was before. That's when Paul Rhodes was still at Iowa State. So that's the one thing that Campbell's not been able to do is get over the hump against Iowa, and he's had better teams than this one to do it. It seems like Ferentz sort of has their number. Iowa's defense, rough and tough, has been able to quell anything that Iowa State's been able uh, wanting to do on offense. And I don't know that Deckers is ready to lead Iowa State over the hump. It might not be pretty. This is about as far opposite as Tennessee Pitt as you can go this week, Jimmy. Uh, but we're leaning to uh, Ferentz to do it again. Keep the Cyhawk in Iowa City, 24-13, lower scoring, ugly. That's the way Iowa likes it. That's the way this series has gone. I like Iowa as well in that one. Alabama, 20-and-a-half and 65-and-a-half and over Texas. Tell me if I'm wrong, Bruce, but this is the first – Power Five campus, non-conference campus that Nick Saban has gone to. Um, maybe he did in 2007. I can't remember, but 2008 he started those uh, first week uh, <clears throat> classic type of uh, games. It was a 2008 game, the season opener against Clemson in the Georgia Dome when Tommy Bowden basically cost his job because they were preseason ranked number six, and they went on to play Michigan, USC, and Virginia Tech and all these others uh, early in the season. But they go to Austin against his former former offensive coordinator, Steve Sarkeesian. Sark may have the uh, the Arch Manning uh, commitment and maybe help is on the way, but uh, Bama. Big favorite and uh, 20 and a half, 65 and a half at, at, in Austin. Yeah, and uh, they'll start getting used to this at Bama. Maybe not every year, uh, but Texas is going to be coming into the league. So <clears throat> there will be these occasional trips to Austin and places like that. You're right. Saving most of the non conference uh, games away from Tuscaloosa have been these bowl sorts of games that they've played in Arlington or Atlanta or Orlando or wherever. So, uh, yeah, this is a little bit unique. Act, uh, you know, obviously, last week, you watch Alabama and you think they can name a score against uh, anybody like that. Uh, and maybe they can, but teams often don't do that. You just don't go out and roll up a score every week. Now, maybe he wants to do that against one of his old assistants. By the way, he, he finally lost a couple games last year to his old assistants. Jimbo beat him once and Kirby beat him once, and he had gone 24 straight where he had never lost to one of his assistants prior to last year. And I would caution Alabama people. I know you looked good last week, but just remember, last year at Florida, lucky to get out of there with a win. 
uh, College Station did not get out of there with a win. A&M upset you. Auburn did everything but beat Alabama last year. Uh, so, little theme there. They had a little bit of trouble away from home, and it was the same thing, these high expectations that these point spreads create. Uh, Texas, Quinn Ewers at quarterback. Yeah, Arch ain't there yet, but they think Ewers will be an upgrade for them. Ohio State transfer kept things kind of low-key last week against ULM, but they still look pretty good. It's a very disappointing season for Sarkeesian last year. Our people down there tell us there was – Friction, a lot of the, the, some of the players left over from the Tom Herman regime, and a lot of people down there told us that Texas, plenty of Texas people did not want to move Herman out. They thought he should have deserved another year. I think they might have been right. So a lot to prove for Sarkeesian. Bottom line here, I think it's tough to go out and just roll up scores every week like this on the road. I think Texas might hang in there. Uh, our score forecast is 45-29. And oh, by the way, who's coming up on deck for Alabama? ULM. Don't forget, they beat Saban's first Bama team in 2007. So, look bros, ahead for Bama. Bros. I'm no, just no, joking. No, I'm just joking. No, 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 no. And listen, uh, Bruce, uh, all of those games, 100%. I mean, uh, Florida's a, a two-point conversion away from going into overtime. Uh, they lose to A&M, and Auburn had them beat. I mean, Tank Bigsby has to stay in bounds uh, right there. That was a brutal loss in you know, and nothing makes uh, the Auburn administration do silly things than lose to Alabama. But this is a better Alabama team. We'll see. We'll see. That line was 12. It's up to 20 and a half now. Florida, big win over Utah. Uh, now the line is going from five to six. Kentucky, a little bit of a, a tune-up game against Miami, Ohio. Although they didn't statistically dominate this game, and it was a tight game at half, and especially struggling with the rushing game without Rodriguez. Florida now 6-52.5 and and at the Swamp against Kentucky. Yeah, the numbers move, but there's some developments here and some things. Drill a little bit deeper in this game. You see what's <clears throat> going on with Kentucky. Uh, it looks like Mark Stoops is keeping that suspension on Chris Rodriguez. He hasn't lifted it yet, and apparently he's going to be suspended along with a few others. Did not play last week. Listen, Rodriguez is a special player. I think... Uh, he might be the best running back in the country. I think he's a little better even than Benny Snell was a couple of years ago. Now, Snell did some – you could go wildcat with Snell. He's a great good pass receiver out of the backfield, so maybe he had that little edge on Rodriguez. But as a pure runner and breaking tackles and all that, I, I don't know that Kentucky really run blocked all that well last year. Uh, Rodriguez made a lot of those yards on his own. And uh, – you mentioned the stats didn't look that good against Miami, Ohio. I'll say uh, 50 yards rushing, and a lot of that is just because there was no Rodriguez. And that game was a little bit more of a struggle than the final 37-13 indicates. It took Kentucky a long time to pull away. Will Levis does not – if he doesn't have Rodriguez, and it looks like he doesn't, they're running game. They don't have one. And uh, if they couldn't run against Miami, Ohio without Rodriguez, they're not going to run against Florida. I think we saw the Napier impact last week. L uh, last season – uh, Florida would not have won that game last week. Utah's good, and you mentioned how good Utah is. Uh, but Florida would not have won that game last year because there was something wrong with Mullen. Florida should not have fallen apart the way it did last year. It was all internal stuff. It looks like they're on their way back. Richardson looked like Cam Newton at quarterback last week. That was part of the problem last year, at least from what we hear internally. And that happens sometimes. You start juggling these quarterbacks around and waffling. Emory Jones, Richardson, he was back and forth all the way the first half of the season. That did not help. Jones is now at Arizona State. Richardson is the man, and he really is the man. And I think Kentucky without R Rodriguez, if that holds through Saturday, 
is in big trouble here. Uh, 29-14 Florida. I think I think the Gators are on their way back, and uh, and they will. By the way, they lost this game last year, second time in 45 years. And if there's one thing Ron DeSantis and Charlie Crist can agree about is that Kentucky game last year really sent Florida in the wrong direction. So some revenge here for the Gators, too. Conference previews. I had uh, Kentucky as one of my favorite uh, unders, under eight uh, on their win total. Wondell Robinson also was a big loss for them. Will Levis look good, but that's Miami, Ohio. This will be a different, uh, different deal. I just don't know if he could carry this team by himself. Uh, this year, and with Rodriguez's suspension, Robinson going, that's the way it's kind of looking. You rush for 50 yards against Miami, Ohio. That is a warning sign. Stay in the SEC. Go to Fayetteville. Good game last week with Arkansas and Cincinnati. Looked like we were going to have another overtime game as Cincinnati was uh, threatening uh, at the end. Arkansas 9 here against South Carolina. Um, K.J. Jefferson looked good. Uh, Kendall Browse does a great job uh, with uh, with him coordinating and hel- helping him develop. And Spencer Rattler in his South Carolina debut. Um, well, it's South Carolina State, but he did look good. I'm, I'm sorry, against Georgia State, uh, rather. But uh, 225 yards uh, in a touchdown uh, for the, uh, this, the former Oklahoma quarterback. Arkansas kind of high here, nine over the Gamecocks at home in Fayetteville. Yeah, they betting this up, uh, Jimmy, and uh, you know South Carolina last week. I mean, chip off the old block, uh, uh, Shane Beamer, two block punts, touchdowns. Uh, that's like as Papa Frank used to do with Virginia Tech. It's great if you can do it. Uh, block punt offense is <laughs> kind of hard to defend if you can if you can work it right. But can they do that again this week? Uh, there are people back there who were not that bold over with Rattler last week. They thought uh, they were expecting a little bit more, and uh, he didn't wow anybody against Georgia State, so they're expecting a little bit more and for him to step it up here, which he's going to have to do this week. Arkansas survived that game last week. Uh, Cincinnati is very good still, um, and I think what um, Barry Odom liked on that defense, there's a lot of depth pieces from last year and some transfers who are being asked to step up in their front seven on defense. The secondary is pretty seasoned. Uh, most of those guys were there last year. And they thought the front seven did pretty well against a, a representative attack last week, and they think they will get better. You mentioned K.J. Jefferson. He's a frightening sight for defensive backs when he gets going out of the pocket with some Indeed. steam. He's waist, yeah, big guy, 240, and he looks like he might be taking the next step up. He accounted for all four TDs last week and uh, – uh, Kendall Bryles offense, 224 rush, 223 pass. Or maybe it was the other way around. But anyway, almost complete, perfect balance last week. And oh, by the way, Sam Pittman, in the first month of the season, I covered all four uh, two years ago in the COVID season, covered his first four last year, and he's 1-0 already this year against the spread. Close last week, but they got there. They start fast, and I'm not sure where South Carolina is at. This looks like a hornet's nest to go into Fayetteville. And I think uh, the Razorbacks get them here this week. So uh, 31-14, Arkansas, I think they'll stretch it out again this week. I'm not sure Rattler's ready, and I like that offense with K.J. Jefferson in Fayetteville. All right, Bruce, a couple of uh, group of five picks, and uh, let's go up to Annapolis, Maryland. And uh, Navy looks like a little bit of a buy-low spot here for the uh, middies against Memphis. Both of them, uh, both teams struggled uh, in their season openers. Yeah, and we, we might talk a little bit more about Navy here. Uh, Ken Niamatololo might be coaching himself into a little bit of trouble up there. Uh, they, they seem like they have slipped. 
Um, and I wonder, too, just being in the American uh, for Navy, I mean, it's a competitive league and non-conference every year. They get uh, they got to play Army and Air Force plus Notre Dame, and then they get one game with an FCS, and they scheduled the wrong one last week. Delaware is not bad and came in there and upset them in Annapolis. So that's the, that's a warning flag. Lavatai, the quarterback, is is back. But we saw Navy last year. They're, they're very hard to, to really extend a margin against. They can still control the clock. They ran better. Two years ago, they couldn't run in the COVID year. Throw that out. Last year, they're back as a top-10 rushing team. They'll control the ball against Memphis. Here's the deal. Memphis, again, last week, fails to cover as a visitor down at Mississippi State. Since Ryan Silverfield took over for Norvell before the Cotton Bowl a few years ago, 10 games as a visitor, zero covers. I uh, got one push out of it against Arkansas State last year, a game, a bad Arkansas State team, a game Memphis almost lost. But they have not covered a game yet as a visitor. Seth Hannigan misses Calvin Austin. Uh, that He did everything for him last year. Austin, now a member of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, he was a first, second, and third option for Hannigan last year. I think they have slipped. This has been a home team series, covered five in a row. And I think Navy keeps this thing really close, if not wins outright. It's going really the wrong way. Silverfield's in more trouble than Niamatololo, I think. So I'm going to take Navy this week. Uh, anchors away up there in Annapolis. Yeah, Memphis was one of my uh, underpicks as well for the win total. Yeah. I think that's a program that's on the decline uh, right now up in Memphis. And one more. It's not a it's – a, it's a group of five versus a power five matchup here. Uh, Pac-12 versus Mount West. Cal, 12-and-a-half against UNLV, who scored all of those points in Week 0. Yeah, and I'm kind of bullish on Cal. I mean, you know, Cal was impacted by COVID the last couple of years more than almost anybody. I mean, they only played a couple of games in 2020, games canceled, uh, being in Berkeley, you know, with all the COVID uh, restrictions there. They didn't have a proper spring, and uh, I think uh, Justin Wilcox maybe has things back on the beam. Uh, and they won last week against UC Davis in the opener. However, there's a real technical angle here. Even Wayne Newton could tell you that UNLV has covered seven straight games on the road against, as a dog, against Power 5 opposition. This kind of goes back to the Tony Sanchez era, which really didn't work at UNLV. But they seem to cover these games against Power 5 schools and good Power 5, Michigan, Ohio State, UCLA, you name it. They covered against all of them. Uh, and even last year they covered against Arizona State. 11-1 and one last 12 against non-conference foes as a, a dog on the road. Uh, and they're getting double digits again here. UNLV might not be that bad. They like the new quarterback, uh, Doug Brumfield. He was there last year, but he's seen off the challenge of Tennessee transfer uh, Harrison Bailey. Uh, they put up 45 points in the first half against Idaho State, which is a bad Big Sky team, and they called off the dogs in the second half. So when's the last time UNLV had to call off the dogs? <laughs> but history says that they're going to play this game pretty tough, and I'm not sure Cal's offense with the new quarterback, Plummer, is progressed enough where they're going to be able to extend a margin. Uh, this is the spot where UNLV has excelled. And, oh, by the way, Cal, not a great favorite here, only 3-7, and seven, last 10, laying points in Strawberry Canyon. So I'm taking UNLV plus the points once again in the Rebels' favorite role as a road dog against Power Fives. All right, uh, so Bruce has uh, Tennessee minus a six and a half at Pitt, Iowa minus three and a half against Iowa State, Te- Texas plus the uh, the busload of points uh, against Alabama, Florida minus six now went from five to six this morning uh, at uh, against uh, Kentucky, Arkansas minus nine, Navy plus the six against Memphis, and UNLV 
plus 12 and a half. We do it every week here as part of Sports Paradise Paradise. Bruce Marshall, executive editor of the Goal Sheet, giving you his top plays and also talking about some of the more high-profile games on uh, on the big stage. For Bruce Marshall of the Gold Sheet, I'm Jimmy Ott. Sports Betters Paradise here on the Bet Rivers Network YouTube channel.